You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. I live a few blocks away, um, and I've lived there for about three years. And um, about two years ago, there was the spring of 2021. Um, It was my first spring in the house, and my roommate and I had a joke that every day at 4.45 p.m. Central Time, um, a portal would open on the corner by my house and something strange would happen. Um, (laughs) One, uh, it was always about 15 minutes when I was about to log off the computer for work, um, working from home. Um, And one day it was like a pretty interesting car accident at 4.45 on the dot. Um, Another day I peeked out the window and there was a peacock just like wandering Um, No clue where it came from, no clue where it was going, but we assume it came from the portal. Um, And it really reached a point where at 4.45 p.m., um, when I was about 15 minutes away from clocking out, you kind of just like braced yourself. Um, Anyone watch Mary Poppins as a kid? So like the neighbor that they have that has a cannon that they fire every hour on the hour... (laughs) And all the maids like brace the house, like grab the vases, keep the piano from sliding across the room. Um, So you just kind of like knew, you're like, all right, it's it's time. Kind of like peek out the window, (laughs) like we good still. Um, One time at 4.45 p.m. Central Time, um, it was a thunderstorm. Um, Also the spring of 21. Um, We were... Uh, again, about to log off of work, um, James Spann on dutifully, as usual, um, in the living room. Um, James Spann is talking about a tornado in Shelby County. I'm adding it to my list of reasons I don't go down 280. And, um, and as we're watching this, all of a sudden, uh, outside, it's like someone just flipped a light switch. It becomes very dark and very windy immediately. So as James Spann is um, telling us to go in our basement, me and my roommate, like a bunch of fools, slam the screen door and run outside into the front yard (laughs) because we want to see what this is. Um, As we're outside in the front yard, we uh, notice a car driving very fast, um, kind of from like the interstate direction towards the mountain. And um, this car is speeding down the street Uh, as it reaches in front of my front yard, it slams on its brakes, slams it in reverse, and drives backwards the same speed (laughs) going back. Um, We later put together that this car had seen the funnel cloud that was just then touching down on a house three doors down from where we lived. (laughs) Um, We put it together and we thought, wow, um, next time we'll probably just hit up the basement. Um, some things, some fears we have in life are real and big, and sometimes our fears are not quite big enough and could do to be a little bigger. Um, today, our story is about how Jesus' disciples have a really big fear and maybe a fear that needs to be a little bigger. Um, we're going to see that for us, Jesus invites us to trade our old fears for a better one. Um, I do just want to pray for us before we get going again. So, um, uh, Holy Father, um, thank you for your word. Would you open our ears to hear it? Would you soften our hearts to hear the promptings of your spirit? Would you loose my lips to be clear? Um, And would you loose our lips to worship you? Um, In Christ's name we ask this, amen. 
So this morning we're in Luke 8, still moving through Luke. Um, Last Sunday, Charlie did a great job preaching on the parable of the sower and what it means to hear God and truly listen to him. And so at this point, Luke kind of takes it. It's almost like a turning the page to the next scene. Um, Luke is moving us on from that scene to the next one. Um, He says, one day Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. Now, Jesus travels a lot in his ministry, and most of it is around the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of like the center point of where, um, center point as in like the central point, not center point as in center point, Alabama. Um, It is the central point of his ministry through most of the gospel accounts. Um, And a good handful of Jesus' disciples are fishermen by trade, so they can probably steer a boat like we can drive a car. And so hopping into a boat and floating to the other side is not a difficult thing for them to do. Um, Lake Galilee, I'm sorry, the Sea of Galilee is not a particularly huge sea. Um, From every point, you can see the other side. It's about seven miles wide, which is like from here to downtown. So um, same thing if you're here during the winter and you're on a high enough street, you can see downtown. You can see the skyline from here. So it's not a ginormous lake. But what makes the Sea of Galilee notorious is that storms can pop up completely unexpected. It's so deep it's deep like, um, like Death Valley, deep, um, uh, below sea level that the hot air just kind of sits there like a pressure cooker. And so when you have cool air that comes over the hills from the area next door, instantly, boom, storm out of nowhere. You didn't see it coming. There wasn't warning. It just, the wind changed and bam, um, you're in the middle of a storm, some with 10 foot high waves and you're in a little boat. Um, and... This quick storm is exactly what happens to Jesus and his disciples. It says, as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap, but soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. So a storm is not going well. The boat is filling with water. Um, They can't keep up with the water coming in. They can't keep the boat upright. It's bad. So they go and wake up Jesus who's sound asleep. The disciples went and woke Jesus up shouting, master, master, we are going to drown. Um, the disciples who are in real danger, Luke says it's real danger, go and wake sleeping Jesus to inform him that this is the end (laughs) for all of us. The disciples' fear is not crazy. So I just want to be clear, like Luke isn't telling us that the disciples were just like wimpy, goofy people afraid of a boat, afraid of a storm. First off, we know the sea can be legitimately scary. Go stand on the beach at Gulf Shores or 30A and tell me that you know everything that is in that water. You don't. Think of, think of medieval times where like you see like the old fashioned maps where they're like, well, this is about what we think the world is. What's on the edge of the water? All these crazy sea monsters, crazy. Because you don't know. If your neighbor goes out to sea and doesn't come back, you don't know what happened. Um, and um, the sea in Jesus' time was just as scary. Um, people died out at sea. There weren't life jackets. There's no Coast Guard to call. Um, there's no meteorology to predict anything. Um, if your neighbor goes out to sea, if they're in a little fishing boat in the middle of a seven mile wide lake and a storm comes and their boat capsizes, they're gone. Um, so with at least a quarter of Jesus' disciples being fishermen, like lifelong boat people, um, you know, they probably aren't exaggerating. If I go out to sea, so like picture like, uh, summer of 2019 dolphin tour, Destin, Florida, uh, the boat is just kind of bobbing up and down like a, like a cork. Um, I'm feeling sick. But if I yell out, 
in my Midwestern nasally voice, we are going to drown. Someone else is going to say, bro, have you been on a boat before? <laughs> and I'll say, yeah, I've been on a few pontoon boats. <laughs> um, but if a lifelong fisherman whose dad was a fisherman and his grandpa was a fisherman and on and on and on up to that, say they're going to drown, they're probably going to drown. <laughs> this is not an exaggeration. It isn't panic. It's, it, this is happening. This is the end. Um, and in the minds and imagination of the Jewish people, in the minds of people like Jesus' disciples, the sea was known for at least two things. So first, when God creates the world in Genesis 1, it describes the universe before creation this way. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. The spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, formless and empty. Um, darkness over water. Just imagine nothing but darkness on top, nothing but water on the bottom. Um, what's in the water? Yeah. <laughs> um, how deep is the water? Yeah. Um, what's beyond the water? Nothing. If you think about it long enough, it's freaky. <laughs> and so people would have equated water a little bit already just because of the creation story that water is scary. Um, if your experience doesn't tell it, um, your knowledge of the way God created the world tells you that before the world, there was water and nothing but that. Um, the second thing that the water held was the story of the flood in Genesis 7. So where God in his wrath floods the entire earth and saves only one family, Noah's, on a boat and basically makes the world formless and void and full of water all over again. Um, but the bottom line of all this is that the disciples are fearful because they're in real danger. Um, we can agree before anything else that fear is just real. Um, the, on a biological level, the way God has created our bodies, fear is our body's way of telling us we're in danger and we need to get to higher ground. Some fears are little and circumstantial. I'm afraid my car is going to get dinged in the parking lot. Um, some fears are big and overwhelming. What if I'm a terrible parent, terrible friend, terrible spouse? What if I mess up my finances? We don't have anything left when we need them. What if I make a wrong decision for my life and end up being where I don't want to be? Um, and some fears are deep in our hearts. What if my problems are too much for my friends? What if uh, this person I like discovers something about me and decides they no longer want to stick around? And, and some of our fears begin to feel like the formless and void, <laughs> just empty and just empty. Um, and some fears are def may certainly be irrational, but even an irrational fear comes from someplace real. So I would ask yourself this morning, I wonder, just to start, what are the things that scare me? I wonder if, seated in my chair, I could name a few to myself right now things that make me want to fight, things that make me want to run, things that make me freeze up or lash out at those around me. I wonder if before I stuff them down, show them the door or say they're wrong, if I could just acknowledge that they're there. Jesus doesn't take a lot of time assessing the fears of his disciples before he just gets up and tells the storm to, the storm to stop. <laughs> The second half of verse 24, he says, Then Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, so they ceased, and there was calm. Um, the word Luke uses, rebuke, is the same word Luke uses to talk about rebuking a demon. Um, with the same finality and the same force and authority, he simply tells it to just go away. 
Um, can you imagine the whiplash of that moment for the people in the boat? All quiet, the boat is still rocking a little bit. There's the sound of dripping water as everyone is soaked to the bone. There's the sound of the water in the bottom of the boat <laughs> lapping. There's the sound of the water gently lapping against the side of the boat. Um, and there's just quiet and heavy breathing because you've just been trying to bail water out of a boat. <laughs> and your heart is still pounding in your eardrums. And all around you is quiet. And Jesus, sopping wet like the rest of us, standing in the middle of the boat, just woke up from a nap. <laughs> and in that silence and in that quiet, Jesus asks his disciples a question. He says to them, where is your faith? The late pastor Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way. He asks, why can't you trust me? For the disciples, this question is not just about the lake. It's about everything. She says, why can't you trust me? After all you've heard, the law fulfilled in your hearing, my teaching in the synagogues with authority, my commanding words casting out unclean spirits. What more can I say in order for you to trust me? Why can't you trust me? After all you've seen, those who are unclean with leprosy made clean by my touch, those who are crippled made to walk straight again, those who are near death received back to life. What more must I do in order for you to trust me? Remember, we said the disciples' fear was real and our fears are real as well. But the missing piece for the disciples is that the man asleep in the boat is not just any man. He is Jesus. He's fully human. That's why he takes naps. And he's fully God. And his intentions for his people are always their salvation and wholeness that they might worship and enjoy him forever. If Jesus says, we're going to the other side of the lake, you're going to the other side of the lake. Anyone else could have picked up an oar, trimmed a sail, throw off cargo, whatever they need to do to delay their impending doom. But Jesus, son of God, his authority isn't limited to healing skin diseases or reforming crippled bones or casting out evil spirits. He can even command the wind and the waves and they obey him without hesitation. And Luke doesn't tell us if the disciples really give an answer to this question. And that lets the trajectory of this question escape the pages of scripture and land on us. Would you let Jesus ask you, why can't you trust me? I'd invite you to hear that question, not as an attack, but an invitation. Why can't you trust me? Would you let it be a question of curiosity? Jesus asked, can you let my presence to you sort out the fears that are present in your heart? Can you let my presence to you sort out the fears that are present in your heart? Like our fears, the reasons we struggle to trust Jesus are real and they're worth examining. I wonder what it is that holds me back from trusting the security and presence of Christ in my heart when things feel rocky. Where fear turns to sin is not when it exists, but when it turns into, instead of trusting someone greater, we try our best to control what we're afraid of and trying to control things we aren't in charge of to begin with. Our fears of financial trouble may cause us to control our money and we cease being generous. When we could engage in generosity and trust God to provide like he always has. Our fears of rejection cause us to control or even manipulate our friends, spouses, significant others 
instead of trusting God with our relationships and receiving other people as they are. You can give control to Jesus or you can cling to what little power you have and go down with the ship. In the end, it's not about whether or not we're afraid, but it's whether we take our fear to God, the one who is in control, or if we cling to our own attempts at controlling what scares us. I wonder if in my fear I'm forgetting the many ways God has been kind to me. I wonder if I can remember times where God has proven himself over and over to be worthy of my trust. I wonder what it would look like to give up control of the things I'm afraid of and give them to the Lord. Our fears are real, but our fears can be real and we can still trust Jesus and move forward. The storm may not even dissipate and sunny days may not instantly appear, but you can trust that Jesus isn't going anywhere. Instead of answering the question, the disciples just ask another one. Um, It says, the disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and waves obey him. The disciples' fear of the storm is quickly replaced by a bigger, better fear. The fear of the one who wakes up from his slumber and puts the waves to sleep. The question they ask, who is this man? It's a question that's repeated in Luke and the gospel accounts. His disciples ask the question. The Pharisees ask the question. The religious leaders ask the question. Kings and governors ask the question, who is this man? And in this moment on this boat, it's as if a breeze has moved the curtain in the window of heaven, giving his followers just a glimpse of what is on the other side. Jesus, human as he is, just sleeping, now standing in the peace and quiet, The waves and wind stopped because he said so. The disciples are beginning in small ways to see who Jesus is, a mystery, like a tune you can't quite name, like a glimpse of something darting between the trees. Suddenly, and through no work of their own, the disciples' fear of the storm is replaced with something, someone more terrifying and full of awe than the biggest storm in the sea. He is the very one who hovered over the formless waters of Genesis, who gave form to the earth, changing the chaos of the deep into a garden of hospitality. He is the very one who led the Israelites through the chaos of the Red Sea, delivering them from Pharaoh's grasp and oppression. He is the very one John will see presiding over a sea as calm as glass at the end of the world. And this, when you begin to sense that God is beyond your grasp, that he reaches out beyond your comprehension, that his power is ultimate, his goodness bewildering, is the fear of God. The fear of God is hard to explain, but I would say it's something like this. When you realize there's no one like him and you see there's nothing beyond his reach and there's so much of him beyond what you can see or comprehend, that is when you begin to fear him. And this fear is different than any other fear because there is no one like the Lord. I wonder, what would it look like for my fears to meet a God whose goodness and power is beyond my grasp? Is it not that our present fears, it is not that our present fears become less real, but that when the fear of God lives in our hearts, it causes all our other fears to fall into place, like a ring of storm clouds circling the eye of a hurricane in the eye, not always safe as we would prefer, but it is the safest place to be in the arms and presence of a God whose goodness and power cannot be stopped by any other earthly or otherworldly thing. There is no list of valid or invalid fears, only the gift of a greater fear that sorts us out and puts our fear in order. 
How do we experience the fear of God? In the gospel accounts of scripture, there are definitely many things to be in awe of Jesus about, his miracles, his teaching, his power, but there's one thing in one place where it all comes to a head, and that place is the cross. How can you be sure that God's goodness and power extends beyond the reaches of your comprehension? You can be filled with the fear of God when you contemplate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can be sure and convinced of God's wild goodness and power when you look to the cross, because when God's wrath bore down on us and our sin like a cosmic storm, when it threatened to swallow us up along with our unbelief, when the clouds gathered against the people who refused to come to God with faith, who refused to give up their control to a God who holds it all, Jesus stood between us and that storm on the cross. And when you see Jesus on the cross and his resurrection proving that the storm is no more for those in Christ, you can begin to fear God because you know that if you are in Christ, you belong to him now and forever, completely secure in his love for you.